Today's Daily DVR is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com. Head on over to Cufflinks.com and use code DVR20 to save 20% off your order, no minimum. You've heard me talk about Cufflinks before. You know all the awesome, geeky, as well as super high-class products they have. And if you check their homepage, they're always listing a bunch of deals for you. And, of course, I did just tell you one, DVR20. So go ahead and use that. And you know what? You still got to look good, people. We know you got to be careful out there. We still got corona going on, but you can still look good if you're zooming it or even if you're just walking past someone looking outside a window. So head on over to cufflinks.com today. Use code DVR20 and save. Thank you, Cufflinks. We're back, baby. Welcome to Daily DVR Does Mine Hunter. We took a long hiatus, but now we're back to complete season two. And tonight we'll be talking Mine Hunter, season two, episode five, baby. Uh, it's it, like we said, it's been a while, but we promised you we'd come back in the summer. And guess what? It's summer and we're back. You can go to patreon.com slash DVR to become a patron and follow us. But if you want, more information and all the really good stuff, just go to dvrpodcast.com and we, you can get there through there. And pennies a month, you can become a Patreon and you'll get exclusive pods, baby, that no one else gets. But let's get it going. I'm excited to hunt mines. I am Heath Solo. And with me, as always, not my Nance, not my Bill Tench, maybe my Peter Gunn this episode, Mr. Axel Foley. Hello, buddy. Hey, pal. I'm so happy to be back hunting mines. Uh, this, you know, it, it had been a while, and I was afraid sitting down to watch this. We're going to be covering episode five, of course, of season two. And uh, I just thought, man, am I going to have to go back and rewatch everything, which is no problem, but I want to be able to have the time to do it uh, just mm-hmm. for this pod instead of just the episode. But I watched a little episode four. I jumped right back in. I knew exactly where we left off. This was such a, an amazing episode. There was so much that happened. And it was like a perfect middle episode to kind of take a little break from Detroit and take us into different areas. Of course, we get to have an Detroit. Interview. Yeah. You mean Atlanta? Oh, Atlanta. I'm sorry. Not <laughs> I was like, Atlanta. wait a minute. It was season three already? I got mixed up. Uh, Atlanta. Right, the Axel Atlanta. Foley killings. <laughs> oh, no, not yet. <laughs> uh, so it was great to take a little break. We got to even meet Manson. Uh, I mean, this was this was a spectacular episode, and everything really came together because I felt this was really an episode that connected the work lives and the home lives in such a strong way. And 100%, you know, there, there's always people who, you know, you check the boards or whatever, Facebook pages, reviews, and some people are like, Oh, why do they show so much of the home life? And then you get to an episode like this and you realize how important it is and how resonant it is. It was just a great episode. Yeah, man, I, I'll be honest. I, of course, I love every episode of Mindhunter, as people know. That's why we do a pod. But being away from it and going back to it, and especially with watching the documentary on HBO about the Atlanta killings and Wayne Williams and just 
go, coming back, I forgot how amazing this episode was. And I don't know, it might have hit me more now. Because I remember liking the, the, the Manson interview, but not under, but kind of like, oh, is that it? But now when you really like my blinders are off and I'm not binging it and I'm just watching the isolated episode, I was like, I felt like I was watching a movie and I got so much more out of it now. Um, and it just like, originally I probably would have gave it an A minus, but it goes up to like an A plus for me. That's how good this episode was. Yeah. It was just, uh, and you know, I'm taking notes and I'm like, God, this is, you know, a lot of scenes. Do we go scene by scene? I think we just, what we should do, Axel, after our initial reaction, just kind of go into it and talk about the, cause I thought I, I just, you know how I don't like doing scene by scene stuff. But you know, we'll see where it goes. We we that's the thing about this pod. We don't have a specific structure. It really is where the episode takes us. Um, and so, how how did it affect you? Like I know you, like you said, you, you thought you're gonna have to rewatch, but you were right in it. it. Did is it is it just me or did it feel like this was just more powerful and there was so much there that maybe I didn't realize before, or maybe because we're finally podcasting about this episode and that's why I see it all. I don't know. No, I think you hit upon exactly how I felt, which is, I guess this was like, I think the fourth time I watched the episode after when season two came out, we were already podcasting and I and we both just watched the whole season, right? With our uh, respective right. lives, and we just said we're just going to watch it. Then when we decide, said, okay, it's we're finished podcasting season one. I rewatched all of season two, just like a straight shot. And then I, I think I watched another time, or at least three times. But then again, yesterday, I watched this episode, and each time I really picked up more until. It sank into me because I do think the first time I watched it, I was one of the people with the perspective of, okay, this is a kind of like, let's put a breaks on it episode, pull back a little bit. It's not as deep. We get to see Manson. It was like kind of almost you think they're in the writer's room and they're like, how are we going to fit Manson and Tex and how are we also going to fit the Brian <laughs> stuff? And then they were like, okay, well, look, that's what we'll do with episode five. We'll pull him out of Atlanta. And then the last scene of episode five, we'll pull him back into Atlanta. Um, but as I watch, I see they just, it's like they can't help themselves. They made it the best episode because <laughs> it, there's no, the way that you have each of the home lives that we see are immediately reflected in what's going on with the cases. Um, we see the fallout of the interview that took place last episode and how that went down. And it was just, everything really just fit perfectly to the point where I'm just seeing how this is really kind of a long, this season, even more so than last season, even though last season was the same way it picks right up. It's like a long film but they're able to create these singular episodes and really bring home what's important. And again, that line between what is, what's divergent, what's dangerous, what's a serial killer, and what is um, just behavior that's new or different, 
that you might not understand and need to look into more, that line that they straddle, you see, especially with Tench, uh, this, this episode really pulls him in both directions. It was just really amazing, man. Yeah, no, it, this is definitely a Bill Tench episode and just the through lines or the subtext of like when he's interviewing Manson and it relates to, you know, you know, your kids and you, you, you brought him this way. And, and, and basically it parallels what he's going through with Brian and what he, you know, Manson is explaining what he did with Sadie and all those broken kids, you know, and it's just like those beats and watching, um, watching Bill just react and how he loses his cool. And it's just like, ah, and how he's trying to deal with everything too. And he's trying to do it in that Bill Tench, Hey man, no, no. You know how he like when he, his way of keeping the situation calm Mm -hmm. where he uses, he gets, even though he's a tough looking guy, he has a way to be like, Hey, you know what? Let's take a breath. No, that's okay. And he, 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 yeah, exactly. And, and a father, a teacher, like, it's just, he has this way about him. He just doesn't lose it. He only really loses his cool when he's supposed to really. I mean, in a sense, sometimes you don't want him to do that with Manson, but it was inevitable. Uh, but I, I just can relate to that character so much, not necessarily about what he's going through, but just how he handles things. Yeah. Uh, so, and, yeah, I agree. And the way that when he lost his cool with Manson, I thought was so interesting is that when, um, when Ted comes in to invite them to the party that they go to at the end of the episode, he says, Wendy, I went over your notes from the interview, uh, that you did with, uh, with Smith, uh, you sounded like Holden to me or something, right? Because they all thought she was lying about being a lesbian. Um, and then we have Tench in the interview with Manson pull a hold in and get too upset and too into, you know what I mean? Like, so it goes to show the way that all these characters, they're kind of feeding off of each other, this team, and they're picking up on what each other's habits are just as they're picking right. up on the serial killers. Like, in a way what Holden has brought to the team has kind of seeped into them to such a level that they don't even really realize the effect he's having on them and kind of opening them up. Um, I thought that was really interesting that way that they both acted like Holden, but it's like different sides of him. Um, It was just great, great stuff. Yeah. And and one thing, uh, you know, you know, at the beginning of the episode, we, like we said, we get the fallout of what happened in Atlanta politically wise and how the case just yes. all of a sudden they, they got sent out back and Bill wasn't around. And Peter, uh, is it Peter Gunn? <laughs> no, Ted Gunn is his name. Ted. Ted. Oh, Peter Gunn's the theme <laughs> from the Blues Brothers. Dun, 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 yeah, dun, dun. Peter OK, Gunn. Ted. That was Gunn. an old TV yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, it was. I keep calling him Peter Gunn. Well, you know, and um, <laughs> uh, but when they're doing the debriefing of the interview that Smith and Wendy did, even Wendy, like, nonchal- well, you know, I think we should because uh, she improvised uh, like and it was like, yeah, I think we, sh- you know, sticking to the script probably isn't the right way to go. And like all of a sudden she was saying it like she came up with it 
or like nonchalantly, yeah. not like holding your right. She just she felt it yep. because she had to do that. And, and, and she finally realized that a, you know, a formula, a script of questions doesn't work with everyone and doesn't work with most of these guys. And and they don't want to answer that crap. Exactly. And and they and and something that um they later say when they're going into the Manson interview, they're getting quicker to say things like, hey, you know, we don't need to ask these basic questions. We already have that information. Like get to the good stuff, the stuff that we need. And she yeah. finally picked up on that. That's the stuff they really need. The stuff that she wanted was like baseline shit that they probably could have inferred or got from all the other interviews that these people had been through before. Um, there was an interesting point in that interview where very quickly um, Tench says to her, instead of saying like, oh, you lied or something, he says that dyke shit. Right. Like using a slur like that. And you see the way uh-huh. it kind of injures her, but she has to roll into it. And the way that even though Tench, it's like we always talk about with his character getting pulled between these two words, that's not something that Holden would ever say. Right. Right. Like right. he understands the difference between the people that they're dealing with and the sexual deviations they have and how they manifest with murder, right? With criminality and homosexuality. But Tench doesn't think like that, even though he does think like that, because when he's talking (laughs) about different cases, he has the wherewithal. So it's so interesting the way he's still caught in that suit. And when Manson brings that up later to him, right? Like you do, you do what people tell you to do. It's reflected back in that part when he lets slip that slur uh, and Wendy has to kind of sit there. And the fact that he just infers that she was lying, Mm. you know, like if that happened today, you would not infer that she was lying. You would, you would at least ask or you wouldn't, you would just say, okay, you know, moving on. Right. That's your business. But I think that it was just a little bit of a hint that they like to drop to us every once in a while to remind us, however progressive or um, uh, experimental he is, allowing Holden to be tense is still holding back a bit. Though he comes on the other hand and he thinks that Brian should see therapy. So it's like he's struggling. Right. You know, in, in the midst of, I mean, this whole episode of Bill just, you know, he's getting pulled in every direction. Gun like you, you got to watch over Holden, the politics out of Atlanta. You know, we 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 want them to understand uh, why they need us, not to be wary of us. And he's got that. He's got the thing with Nance pulling. You need to be home for Brian. You need to be yeah. away from work. And then hold it. You know, and then the Wendy stuff. And it's just like he's getting pulled in all directions. And then of course, when when Gun's like, I got you, Manson. It's like, oh, now we got to go to California for that. It's just this whole. He, but there's the one point where he's talking to Wendy in the hall uh, and they basically she basically talks about how the interview didn't quite go as well. And he, I think he says, like, he shit the bed, didn't he, or something. Or, yeah, I think. Yeah. It's like, but but uh, Bill has this smirk like he has this one little like mm. amidst all this craziness. He has that moment. And, it, and it's just like I figured, you know, wow, you guys did the interview. 
oh, of course he shit the bet. You know, it just, it was so well done. It was this little moment that I, that sticks with me because throughout, throughout all this craziness, he's still like, he's compartmentalizing all this stuff. So it just found it very interesting. And, you know, throughout this episode too, with the party and stuff, you also see, because before, you know, going into season two, uh, Bill and Wendy weren't on a good page. You know, they had a glass of wine together and talked about Holden's breakdown and they seemed to be building their relationship back and probably even a little stronger because I think they understand each other more. And, and, and for Bill to be like, hey, I got an issue going on, like he basically breaks down and tells Wendy about Brian because he won't tell anyone else. He's keeping this all on the down low. Uh, and, that, and that's a great moment for them. Uh, as well, because he he really does trust her, and he just doesn't want Holden to know. Why do you think yeah. that, uh, Axel? Of he doesn't want Holden to know his home visit. You think Holden will try to get too much, too involved, and that's not his personality, Bill, to have other people involved in his personal life. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a baseline of him being private, and like you said, he's all about compartmentalizing. So that's work. This is uh, home life. But I also think it's that he fears that Holden would able, be able to see immediately and turn to him and be like, he's a serial killer. You know, <laughs> like he yeah. would like, he, right. he doesn't want to take that test. He just wants to believe that they can help the kid. And work through it. And they're lucky that he didn't, he's not going to jail. There's no, right. They just have a basic court ordered, um, like therapy and home check-ins and things of that nature, which it's obvious too. And it's kind of skirted over that. I feel like he definitely got a, after we came back from these murders in Atlanta, where there's all these black kids getting killed and it gets caught up in politics and they can't say who the killer is. Right. Um, right. And because of racial politics and America being what it is. And then you have this little white kid kills a baby and he just has to have a therapist come over. Like they pay a lot of attention to him and this situation, but they're not paying attention to the situation that's happening in Atlanta. And I think that's an interesting dichotomy too, that they don't really delve into, but it's obviously there. And this being such an intelligently written show and constructed show, I know that's a part of what they're, why they're doing this. And that's a part of why I think that this whole Brian storyline is involved in it. And you just see how much attention gets paid just to Brian and how many people are trying to help him. And the hour is devoted to this one kid. And he was the kid who helped kill a little kid. You know what I mean? Like you see the difference there. Uh, I thought that that was interesting, but yeah, I think he doesn't want to tell Holden because he's afraid of what he thinks is like a test of what Brian really could be. He just wants to believe that he can be okay. Yeah. And, and one of the big things down to when they uh, debrief about Henley and going forward with Manson is basically how an adult has influence or control over a teenager. And in, in, in Bill's mind, yeah. he's thinking, you know, yep. the son with the older kids, you know, it, you know, and, and it's just it, 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 you get that 
where he's thinking it in his head, but you can, it, it's there big time about how, you know, how can someone so young get an influence by an older person? How can they be held solely responsible? You know, you know, that whole influence and control thing, which is pretty, pretty, uh, um, interesting. And, and we, again, with the whole thing with Brian, what about, I want, I want to ask you this because, um, the, the shot of Nance and Bill at the table at the beginning after the BTK opening, which we'll get into, um, you know, they're talking about, you know, Brian tried to tell us and Nance is worried and they'll take the son away, you know, and, and even later on, Bill's just like, they're not taking him away. Like she's all upset. And it's like, it was a good day. We keep our son. But, um, that shot of them sitting at the table, they're separated, but their angles yep. pretty, you know, I thought of you, of course. And I'm like, Oh, Foley's going to, Oh, it's this beautiful dude. Shot. Even the way that they just slowly glide into it, which they always do in this show. And that's the great shot. When Tench walks back into the office and yells at Holden, when he's <laughs> just got back from Atlanta and the camera is far away. And as he walks, he moves closer, but he's walking in a diagonal and the camera is just sliding over and then it pull. And then it's just the same exact shot in reverse as he walks out and grabs Wendy and they go and have the conversation in the hallway that you described earlier, uh, mm-hmm. where he says he shit the bed, but yeah, this is great. <laughs> They're facing totally different directions, you know, at this table and the way that this is shot, this little conversation, he's so gentle with her. You can see how he wants to, you know, just cover her from this and try to be there for her. And this is just so much, I mean, and the, the way that it must be, what's so weird about this situation. And I was thinking about this is it's like, it's not like the kid um, like started hurting himself or something that is not directly in the purview of a serial killer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> the kid acted exactly in the way the the crime scene, the way the details of it. It's just everything that he, they study. And he was trying so hard to keep it out of the house. And remember when he found the photos and the, and the uh, babysitter quit and all that. So it's like what he just, he's so trying to be there for her. And that's why I like the way that they put the chairs they're facing each other, but they're off one, right? Yeah, like you're right. He's a little bit in front or behind her from our perspective, and she's a little closer to the camera. So it's like they're trying to be parallel, but they're, like they're parallel, but not together. So it's just an interesting – it provides like a really interesting uh, aesthetically um, – feeling when you see that and then they shoot him from the side and her straight ahead and it's just uh it i mean it's brilliant man i could just keep on going on i'm looking at it now as we talk about it <laughs> well you know it's funny you bring up because really i mean the way bill is you expect him to be an alcoholic maybe a abu- abusive person but he's not that would be typical and yes you're right that would be your typical and and one of the reasons why i love this character because it isn't like you know what you think. And the only time he loses it is with the photos when he goes, Nancy, you want to see why I don't bring home my work? But then she grabs him and he doesn't like, you know, get violent or anything. 
then he comes down and they come together and they work it out, you know, and it, it it's what, what's tough is with this relationship is because so he, yeah, he's always trying to protect his family. He's not that you're, I'm not going to say you're typical, but like you said, like the, 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 you know, central casting of a hardworking man in the seventies, eighties yeah. and drinking and, you know, and I'm glad that we, we see, and that's why we love him. Uh, yeah. But Cause he's a it, good guy. It, I think he's a good, a good guy. guy. And there's just, and I understand Nance's perspective. Like she feels so alone and she's been taking care of Brian herself and, terrible, it, man. It, 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 and he wants to be there, but he's also got his job and they, he's trying to solve murder. I mean, it's just, it's so like, what about when they're in the therapy session and, you know, Nance of course, isn't too happy, but then that, that, uh, the doctor or, or a therapist or whatever is just like, wait, you interviewed Manson. And he wants to hear it, and and Bill gets that look, <laughs> like, okay, this may go our way if I yep. if I because Bill Bill's an entertainer, he knows the room. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, dude, and I think that that I'm sorry to interrupt, but you, I just I love that you brought that up because that is a call back to the barbecue. Remember when she was like, go right. away, don't talk to every, and it's like a bridge, and what Bill is so adept at reading a room and like you say, being able to take it over that he immediately recognizes what's happening and just starts doing it regardless of what her reaction is going to be, you know, Mm -hmm. and her previously saying like, don't bring those things up. And now it's to their advantage to do it. And he slides right into doing it. But then again, this is the shit he was trying not to do. So (laughs) it's kind of like the ultimate life lesson where you just have to like, let it go and be in that moment and do what's right for his family. Um, Yeah. That, that scene was tough. And I just, man, this, the actress, Stacy Roca, who plays Nancy, she's fantastic. Oh, she really is fantastic because you see the pain and the anguish and the love too. Uh, that she has both for Bill and Brian and, and to go through, I can only imagine myself as I have a son who's soon to be eight. If something like Mm. this occurred and even the, the issues that they've had with his behavior before um, it's obvious that he does need some special attention, you know, and it was obvious before this. And then there's that guilt that maybe Tench, you know, might feel too is I should have been able to recognize this. Yeah. You know, like here yeah. he's being made to be Holden's minder by Ted. And in a sense, his son is like Holden, right? Like we even saw that early scene when Holden first came over for dinner in season one, where he could get down on the ground and play with him mm-hmm. and Tench couldn't. And it's like, yeah. he can't do anything right. And I think that's part of the reason he gets so mad at Holden. Um, and then even later when he's going to do the interview, though, he softens because he's a good guy, right? And he probably had time mm-hmm. it was a couple weeks later. And he's like, okay, if you can go do the interview. And it's like he's talking to a, it's like a father and a son. And he's like, thanks, Bill. <laughs> 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 thanks, dad. Oh, I thought you did a, a Jesse Pink, but thanks, yo. <laughs> no, but it's just like so sweet, you know, like they have, there's a beautiful relationship 
And I think the more he recognizes it and lets those two worlds come together, because they really are one anyway, the happier he'll be. And we'll see how that progresses in the season. Yeah. And even when uh, when Miss Leland, Ms. Leland comes over the social worker and, and basically does a crime scene run through. I mean, yeah, like when 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 Brian goes and he uh, Bill tries to, you know, just rub him on the head like and he he avoids him, avoids his hand. It was just like uh, felt so bad for him. I mean, I mean, pretty much his father's not around. So the kid is distant from his dad, amongst other things. I'm sure down to the photos. He just wants to be close to you. Um, but but the whole like even at, at the end of that, because I'm watching, I'm like, God, she's going through everything. Like, I guess that's what they you have to do. But I'm like, what if there's a sex toy in the drawer? Or something? <laughs> I was like, no, Bill, put Nance, uh, put it away. We know when not to look at your apartment solo. Oh, hey, um, oh, I, right. I am the sex toy. <laughs> you are a sex toy, baby. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like she picks up the razor that's in the bathtub. And then you can tell that they're like... <laughs> The razor should be up above where the kid can't get to, right? Like yeah. all these little things and the way that when she says, you know, we'll see you soon. And then uh, that's what Nancy says. And then she replies, yes, yes, you will. And then Bill's like, she's not our friend, Nance. Yeah. This is what I do, you know? And again, yeah. the the colliding of the worlds and him sensing it and knowing what was going on. That actress, uh, she was just in she's something. in a lot of stuff. Yeah, she's great. I've seen her. She's awesome. I she's just saw very her. Good. Yeah, I don't. Oh, you know what? I think she's. Well, we're watching the new Dirty John, uh, the Betty Broderick story. Yeah, we are too. Yeah. Okay, she's. I think she's one of the friends too of Betty Broderick. I believe she makes you're correct. Appearance. Yeah, she's she's correct. in there. Because um, there's a few recognizable uh, like actresses that you're like, oh, I've seen her in ton of stuff. You know, it's all they got a good cast there, but um. But to get back <laughs> to, to Dirty Mindhunter, um, was there any – because you know how even Nance is trying to be – like leaves out the cookies and she just moves them. And, but you notice that there were flies on the cookies and then flies – it was a shot of a fly on a glass. Mm. And I, I just wondering if that meant anything or was that just because she didn't touch it? Is that all that meant or did you – Pick um, up on that at yeah. all? Yeah, you know what that made me think of? It made me think of nature, like nature versus nurture, or however hard, you know, humanity tries, you know, we can't overcome our nature or nature itself. Like she tries to make everything in the house uh, antiseptic, clean for the kid. She wants it to be safe, but then the cookie she lays out, a bug goes on it. I don't know. That's kind of how that's, that's immediate. That's how I kind of read it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting. Another mind just hunter just, touch, man. Yeah, I know. I'm like flies. I, I know this is flies. Um, before we get to Manson and Tex, really the big, and maybe a little bit of the party. Uh, I want to hit a couple of the uh, sub through lines, if you will. And let's go with a little, uh, uh, Wendy and her girlfriend and having the best yeah. best sex of their life. Um, Wendy and Kay. What what's her name again? Kay. Kay. That's what I thought. I was going to say L, but I was like wrong show. Stranger Things. Um, oh no, that's eleven L. Uh, anyway, that was a joke for myself, I guess. <laughs> um, so I mean, the big thing 
is how, again, uh, you know, they go to the movies and she likes to see the trailers and everything. And then she's like, well, I'm going to park really slow. And it just was kind of like trying to break her out of that. But I was thinking the same thing. That's what I like to do. I like to get to the movies and watch everything and settle in. Wendy's Um, my type of lady. Yeah. Um, And then they go back. um, But I'm not her type of man. No, no, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) And and what's funny, really funny is because when we were watching Mindhunter, that's what brought up. And I was with Lady Soul, like, oh, we got to watch Fringe, Anna Torres, and that you'll love it. And then now we go back, like we just, we hadn't watched Mindhunter in a while. And I was just watching this episode, but we've watched the first four seasons and a couple episodes of the last season of Fringe. So when when I had Mindhunter just on and she walks in, she goes, oh, The Observer. And then she's like, (laughs) wait a minute, that's, that's, that's Olivia from Fringe. I go, I told you. But it was like, not until you get into Fringe and watch it, then it, it really hit her. So it was kind of cute. Like, it was like, yeah, it was a fringe, uh, you know, uh, reunion. Yeah. Um, but you know, the big thing is, you know, she talks about, of uh, double a baseball. I like that little thing. And the, and her son, K son and Wendy's like, Oh, I would love to go to a, a game, a little league game. <laughs> it was like, uh, it's minor league. Uh, but, uh, and, and then it, she's caught like, he's like, I don't introduce my son to people I'm dating. And she's like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she's also looking at the apartment and how it's just in boxes. And, and so she's analyzing, but she felt, I felt so bad for Wendy because she felt so like she overstepped her bound. She put out a little olive branch, yeah. but yet it wasn't the right thing. And she knew it, but she let her emotions take over versus her analytical mind. And I, I, I felt really bad for her actually in that scene. I was like, ah, Poor Wendy. It's sweet. It's really sweet. Yeah. And, and and I think that it made me think of how really naive she is and talking in relationships and in her own sexuality, it's something new to her, right? And mm-hmm. she's not as out as Kay is. I mean, look, Kay made this huge decision to leave her husband and her son behind because she had to live her truth, right? And yeah, and yeah. Wendy is is here coming from a meeting where uh, her good pal Tench is dropping slurs, and they're uh, assuming that she would only be joking about being gay or manipulating someone by saying that. Um, mm-hmm. And then here she is uh, on the other side of it in her own in her own life. Not really. It's almost like. Uh, it the surroundings reflected her. It was almost like she was in like a college apartment or something. You know what I right, mean? Like yeah. it was something yeah. so new. Like she was almost like a teenager uh, experience uh, that she was having. And I thought that that was kind of tender and sweet. And you know, she's obviously very different in the office and there. Um, but again, it's like the two worlds coming together because you think about her previous relationship and she talks a little bit about it and how she was so kind of dominated. It was just like the interview she did last episode and what we see with Brian and what we see with Tex and Manson, right? Where she was kind of led by someone else and hypnotized by someone else. Um, Mm. And she's kind of like, 
striving to be free. And I think K is awesome, you know? And yeah, that little slip up, it did. It was so sweet. She's like, oh no, I'm sorry. I didn't, yeah. I didn't mean to do that. But then the way Kay came back, she was like, okay, I understand it, but we need to talk about this. Yeah. And I yeah. need to tell you why this is, because this is serious. Like we can't just like sweet nothings this away. It's a big part of my life. Especially, you know, to explain a young child, mommy's with a woman now and yeah. not daddy. In I mean, 19, that's a whatever whole, 80 it is or whatever year yeah, they are Yeah, oh, here. especially, yeah, it's not like a kid nowadays probably would be a little more educated on it or wouldn't be so, oh my gosh. I mean, it still yeah. would, I was, they may not understand yeah. it Society, the school. Society, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's such a different time as well. Um, and, and, and as much as, you know, we get a little selfish and we want to unburden ourselves with our inner thoughts, we got to protect our, you know, our children and be careful what we say yeah. because we, you know, tend to forget it's not my buddy on a podcast I can tell. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, versus a, a, my child. Think about what, just like what we were saying about how Tench is able to so eloquently navigate the legal system. Uh, what happened if Kay's husband like wouldn't like sued to not let her see the kid? That is, that's the history of gay people and that have had children, you know, in previous marriages, you being used against them to hurt them. So in in the court, in court, it would be like, she was a murderer, you know, back then that exactly. Like they said, it was just, as she says, well, they, when, um, there is a point I remember, did it already happen? Yeah. It already happened where she says that at this point, the DSM had already been changed where they would not that they could bring someone in to say that this is not considered a mental illness. So, but you're right mm-hmm. within the legal system, things would be, you know, not easy for her. So no, that whole scene was great. I love, I loved all of it. And it really had a lot to do with what was going on in the whole episode. Yeah. And, uh, but before we get to the really big stuff, even though this has been all great, uh, I definitely every time I see Park City, Kansas, I think of you again. I don't know why, <laughs> Axel. Uh, but we got all BTK yeah. uh, burying bar- burying a case, and I notice you know it has the mask and some other trinkets in there. Now, th- is that the mask where his wife catches him in the bathroom? Did he have a mask on when he was like trying to? Like, yeah, but I don't think it was that. This looked more okay. like a clown type of mask. Or something, yeah. or maybe even a woman's mask. It looked like V for Vendetta. <laughs> no, without the the uh, mustache. But yeah, I wasn't sure because I couldn't remember what mask he had on, or he had some sort of thing on. Anyway, uh, I think any, that was anything... more like a breathing type mask. I could okay. actually try to go back and find it. I don't remember what episode it was well. on. But um, this is, uh, yeah, I think this is a little, but it's definitely along the lines of the kind of, you know, the stuff that he's doing. It's not, yeah. he's obviously not burying that because it's, it's, uh, you know, like a uh, time capsule for his kid to, to get later. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> time capsule. <laughs> um, is there anything, anything we should know about this scene or is it just, again, another piece of the BTK puzzle? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just a continue. Yeah, it is. It's like a woman's face and shoes. 
So I think that this is probably something he was using to practice with or he used um, in a kill. I think it's just the progression here. But what I find Mm -hmm. interesting about these little BTK uh, things is um, it's like he's getting pulled like the one with his wife and she gives him all the pamphlets and everything, right? Yeah. Like um, they, they, it, maybe this is a continuation of him trying to put it away. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. You know, that could be. And when he took I, it, maybe I, when he took a little bit of a break, cause didn't he have breaks that he took? Oh yeah. He went, <clears> didn't he? It wasn't like several years at one of the breaks, yeah. 20 years or so. I mean, it was, I mean, I don't know if it was that long, but it could have, it was that yeah, he stopped for a while. Um, so this could be symbolizing that he's putting, that away for now, um, which w- would make a lot of sense uh, with the BTK storyline. Cool. So as our boys, Bill and Holden, go to Cali to go interview Manson, which then Holden's like, what, what is the line? Don't cream your panties or get moist. Or yeah, what? he says, don't get too moist before the interview. <laughs> And, of course, Manson doesn't want to come out of his cell, so they go and have a ch- chat with our boy from season one, Ed Kemper. Yeah. And so this I, was – I forgot – again, it's like these little things. This episode had so much in it. I had almost forgotten about this. And it it's so meaningful because the last time that they met was him running out of the room, right, being intimidated um, yep. having a panic attack, but Holden really has gotten this under control. Yeah, and, and that's the thing to look at too. Because remember, at the beginning of the season, that was the big thing. I mean, I, you know, the cliffhanger, a little Zeppelin playing in the light, and then like the whole thing with him having a panic attack at Shepherd's retirement party and every so, yep. and for him to handle it, but it's, I, <laughs> they get some great information from Kemper, but I feel bad because they're there to talk to Manson and <laughs> he's just, it's like, all right, Ed, great. Uh, Manson's ready. Okay. Take care, buddy. And, and, and Kemper, I, he's, he's used. I know he's a freaking psychotic murderer, but I felt bad for him. Yeah, I don't know why. But he, and, but he had to throw that part in where he said, he's really tiny. Yes. Don't stare. <laughs> you know, yeah. like he's really tiny. Just adding to how, like, it, it, taking him mm-hmm. down, he wasn't really, he's not really a mastermind. And I like, though, the way, um, first off, when we first see Kemper, he's reading an audio book. And as I think we had discussed before, you can still get audio books that he read. Oh, wow. He did a ton of them. Uh, so that was back in the day before they were as popular as they are now, everybody listening to him. But I think you can actually go on Amazon or whatever, and there's books that he read and that was yeah, like, I'm going to pass. <laughs> yeah. That was like his main job, I think was just sitting there reading audio books forever. But, um, when it's time, when he says, well, we have, he breaks out the recorder, Colden, and he says, well, um, we're here for something else. He's like, well, for what? He's like, well, for you, Ed. Yeah. And I was like, wow, okay. Not only was that smooth, but this just shows how Holden is gaining his confidence and right. and dealing with the stress that he experienced, right? 
and he's able, it's his idea to go talk to him. And he is then controls the interview and controls Kemper throughout the interview. It's not Tench. So I think that this was like, this was a cool little scene. I mean, the information they got was kind of interesting. We'll see how it plays out about going back to the scene and the meaningfulness of that. Uh, but for me, this was really interesting to see the way Holden deals with him. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, and, and 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 what a difference where Kemper's talking about going back to the scene, and even the sexual gratification of it to relive it, and then and then it's like, well, what if there are people there and you can't do it? Well, I keep trinkets, and what mm. a difference with uh, Berkowitz, son of Sam Killer, where he's like, oh, I go back to the scene, but it wasn't, but it wasn't sexual. I'm not, you know, but yet he would roll around in the dirt or whatever, like <laughs> yeah. a dog. And it's like, yeah. okay, buddy, but Kemper's just flat out. But Kemper's big thing that I really got too is he goes, think about it, like like the information you're getting, you know, they're getting about serial killers mm. is the ones you've caught or have been caught. Yeah. Not ones that are, at, you know, and as much as, well, how are you going to go interview a serial killer uh, that hasn't been caught yet? <laughs> you can't do it. I mean, unless you know it's him and then you interview someone kind of that way. Uh, but it, it, it's just, it's interesting. It's right, you know. Uh, it's just it just fascinated me, and it really the Kemper scene was really good. Not to get Kemper back, uh, it was a great character in this show, a great actor, but it sets us up for Manson. And like you said, don't stare at him; he's tiny. He's tiny. He's, he's tiny. Um, Charlie Manson. There was something I was gonna something else I was gonna say about uh, the Kemper interview that I that slipped my mind. There, I can't remember. Oh, I remember it was, it made me think of BTK when he said, there's so many that you have, you know, that you've only interviewed serial killers that have been caught. And then Mm -hmm. kind of, to me, it made me think of BTK that we were just talking about the way that the show reminds you that, right? Like the information that they're going, they have to keep on learning because there could be all these different types. Every time they go and talk to someone, they're like, is it this type or that type? Well, these are only the people that they have caught. And I think that that is really an interesting idea to keep in mind as we go forward and what, what's happening in Atlanta too. um, Because there's like differences in what's happening there. And they see how people, how a serial killer learns or adapts and that's part of what their job has to be to always be open to that change. Yeah, and that's what's great now. And it's funny, it kind of, even though it might have been in my mind, it kind of hit me more now as we're talking about it of why we're getting because the BTK stuff mm-hmm. and knowing the timeline of this show and spoiler for BTK, but how he takes a long break and doesn't get caught till like 2013 or something. Um, and I, I was wondering, like, why would why would Mindhunter, why would they show something when are they going to jump in time? And it's like, no, not necessarily, because we're seeing the birth of pro- profiling, the birth of the term serial killer. And they're learning along the way, but there's going to be those ones you, you can't just put yes, the formula yeah. down. BTK doesn't follow a formula because of what they know, up, especially up to this point, because – He's like an anomaly. Like he can stop for 20 years, then go back. And, you know, it, 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 and, it, it, and like they make point out to solo Kemper gave himself up. 
Yeah, Kaepernick, so, he wouldn't have got probably wouldn't have got caught. Exactly. So he's just yeah. successful, and we get to see that um, it's a parallel that at the same time they're learning their craft here in this modern world is this BTK who's so who got away with so much stuff for so long and terrorized all these areas uh, in Kansas for so long. He was learning and adapting even from from the fact that they were teaching the public about what a serial killer was, right? And mm-hmm. then that allowed him to adapt. So that's a part that they hadn't thought about how the observer influences the experiment. Oh, and the in the same wow. oh yeah, the observer. In the same way that Wendy um had kind of said to them before about them having to compile all this data and let the public know so the DA can press charges correctly, right? And juries can uh, either acquit or put these guys in jail. Um, Mm -hmm. The serial killers are out there watching and learning that they know they're being watched now. So I think that that's a really interesting point Mm. of view that they chose BTK as well. Yeah, and it just makes sense now. They could have. But yeah, the fact that they they chose BTK, and I'm thinking, of course, in my mind, how are they going to end it with me? You know, and I'm realizing, no, it's not about that. They might, though. You know what's? I was thinking about that because as we're recording this, and I know in posterity, people will just end up listening to all these episodes in a row. But Mm -hmm. um, you know, as we've talked about earlier, they're now the actors have been released from the contracts. Fincher's finishing his movie Mank for Netflix. And then supposedly they want to try to get back to it. And actually, there was a little bit of news, which is that Holt McElhaney did an interview where he said, oh, we're all – we want to do more. You mm-hmm. know, So there's no problems. Oh, it's just going to take yeah. some time. Yeah. But I thought they could do something cool if they maybe jump back in and then take on BTK and they jump forward or even recast. I wouldn't – I have to admit – I think that the production and everything is so great that if they did do something like that, I would go with it. I would be happy with it. Yeah. Well, the perfect thing is, you know, when the Star City Murders comes out, I'd play a lead detective. There you go. And David, then we can get Heath Solo on the Mindhunter season four. Yes. Or whatever, three. I mean, that that's a campaign we could, we could seriously get behind. I like it. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's get to Manson. All right. So, and it's funny when, you know, don't look at him, he's small and he sits on the chair and that, that was pretty interesting. And, you know, how many people have played Charlie Manson through the years and stuff. And I remember at first seeing him being like, okay, he's good, but I just think he's really good after watching it now and really listening more and having more knowledge about, um, I mean, they talk about the, you know, Lobianco and Tate murders and all that, but just, you know, Holden is so starstruck. He bought a new mic. He brought the book, Helter Skelter. Like <laughs> he he's brought a new mic. That was yeah. so, like, yeah, Bill's like, is just relentless on him the whole time. <laughs> oh, I know. And, and, and Bill doesn't even give it a, a chance, which coincides with what he's going through at home in life. Uh, and, you know, Manson's all about now, not the past. Um, and he just really gets into, um, you know, it just, he just really gets under Bill's skin, uh, you know, with, you know, your children, you raised them and you threw them away. And I just, you know, 
gave them a home. You know, and you start to really think, but in coincide with the Tex interview, like I start to believe, like, wait a minute, maybe Manson was losing control and not to lose control over his cult or what have you. It's just like he had to like go with it. But it's it's like I was actually believing him for a little bit, but then I like pulled myself back. And was like, wait a minute, because you're saying, oh, it was Sadie who listened to the White Album and got the messages there. And it was really, they wanted to do the, uh, you know, the copycat killings uh, to get their, you know, boy out of jail and uh, Bobby Bacala. And, um, and, you know, Bobby Bacala? Uh, Bobby Bacala. <laughs> yeah, Bobby Bacala and his trains. Um, but, like, you know, and one thing Manson said that's true is, like, you know, he talks about how he's free. And Bill's like, well, you're in a padded cell or whatever. You're not free. And he goes, it's all about the mind, man. Yeah. You're free in your mind. <laughs> and I started thinking of that. And, like, you know, you're living a life where you go to work and do that, but your mind's not free. You're, you're angry. Yeah. You're scared. And it, 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 that actually made some sense. I'm like, oh, my God. How? how yeah. you, well, he's, I mean – I found the whole backstory and like conspiracy idea. I know I like, as we've talked about on the show, you, you know more about serial killers than I do. I mean, I know my fair share, but I can't say that before watching this for the first time that I actually knew that that was like an alternate theory that existed. Mm -hmm. Um, I found that to be pretty fascinating, but the part that I found most fascinating about it was just that both of the guys, I think both Tex and Charles Manson were obviously like con men. And I think yes. were prone, I wrote that in big letters. <laughs> yeah. They were just prone to manipulate anyone or anything around them. And they were very good at it. And they both had yeah. different ways of doing it, um, depending maybe on who was in the room. And the way right. that Manson went at Tench and the things he said to him were spot on, but they were also generic as hell. Yes. You know what I mean? And like there's the rub. Yeah, I, I felt said. like it, they were great, but I also felt like it had to do with where how you felt there in the room that it was Charles Manson saying it, because I felt like that was a guy, again, at college getting high and telling me how bad my life was. And then I just look back and be like, dude, you're sitting in the same fucking room as me, <laughs> you know? And they were yeah. like, whatever, dude. And we're like, okay, have a good night. I'm going to have fun. Uh, you be you, man. Um, but I think that it was brilliant acting. And this actor, Damon Harriman, who I just had looked up was Dewey unjustified. Wait a minute. That's not the same guy. is Yeah. Cause he's, no, I don't think it is. Yeah, I'm looking he, at it right here. The Australian he play, actor, Damon Harriman, he's best known for playing dim-witted hillbilly Dewey Crow on Justified. No, I, no, I know, but he was Manson in Once Upon a Time in yeah, Hollywood. it's the same guy. And, oh, it, it is him? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. well, that's great. It's then, all the because, same guy. Oh, okay. I Because he has more facial hair, I think, yeah. in this. And he's old. That I didn't, and he's, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that was him too. Oh, even better. Yeah, because I was wondering, I'm like, man, where did they get the Manson guy? I mean, because I even was saying Dewey Crow is great. Yeah. Uh, you know, because he only had a, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is one scene. 
uh, as Manson. But he was oh, great though, too. He just that walked. Was him. <laughs> oh, I know. You just walked. I was up. scared, man. That was scary. That was. Great. Oh, that is Dewey Crow. Okay, because yep. I didn't even realize it. Yeah. yeah, he's so good as Manson. This was. Yeah. He should and do a one man show. He should. Like, the he way he a- sat on that chair, I was thinking. They must have glued that chair down. Like that chair was bolted down. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the way he did that too, just to sit above them, everything right. was con man oh, stuff. Crow. Uh, and awesome. It was interesting though that um, the part that Kemper brought up that he never really killed anyone. And then the part when they said to him, well, why didn't you go into the other crime scene? And he was like, Huh? They were. I would have broken my parole. Parole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, just like it's just doesn't it doesn't add up. Is basically what I'm trying to say with both yeah. him and Tex. It just doesn't add up. But what does add up? There was just a bug crawling on me. Jesus. Um, what does add up is that people died, and mm-hmm. I think regard what maybe that story communicated to me. And it's just like with the Brian kids thing. And also thinking about Wendy and her relationship, Holden Tench, like the two sides of the coin that like they need each other to exist. Um, so whoever it was though, you get that end result and they're both responsible for it. But then one person played the criminal justice system. Cause that was Texas way. Right, he was the smooth right. talker, and Manson was the crazy guru. And, and what's amazing is because they even brought up before the interview, like how does an uneducated man, who I, I forget what other, they said something else about him. How does he get these people and control them and start a freaking cult? You know, yeah. and you're like, you know, that's interesting. But just when there's times. Where he, when Manson speaks, he sort of makes sense if you take away. Because it's emotional, right? Like they were looking at it's again that short sightedness that they, they tend to have and call it the times or whatever, which is that they just assume that because Tex and these other women that were involved had gone to college or had loving upbringings, that they could not act like this it's the nature versus nurture thing and yeah let me because they don't want to accept it in themselves in their own world right yeah yeah i just want to finish my point as you interjected i'm sorry buddy i get too excited (laughs) it's okay i know i do the same thing no but yeah and basically i'm i'm going that along those lines but how these people you know were just so broken and a little guidance outside the box away from mm-hmm. say what your family has taught you or what society has taught you, especially like you said, 1969, 68, 69, around that time. Yeah. It was like the, the perfect storm, if you will, the way he expresses himself, he knew how to get to those people and relate and open their mind. And plus there was a lot of drugs. That's the same. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but absolutely right. But, but yeah, no. Um, so it, it's just like, you know, I watch a lot of things on different cults like Koresh and, you know, Tony, Tony Alamo or Alama, whatever he says his name is like that different things, how people just, you know, sometimes it's a fear of going to hell uh, and they sow down that path. But it's the brainwashing. It's a con artist. It's, 
you get vulnerable people. I mean, I mean, they're dumpster diving to get food and they're okay with it, you know, kind of, it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy on the mind, but, but the, it, that's explained. Like he couldn't just come into our homes and, and, and say this stuff. And we weren't, wouldn't just leave our families and start killing. I mean, some people, maybe, I don't know, but it was, but it's just like when you get young kids who are runaways and who have nothing and are looking for some sort of guidance uh, in leadership. That's how he was able to manipulate these people, yep. you know, yeah. and, 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 and it just took on a life of its own, unfortunately. And, uh, and it can happen to anybody, right? Like, look, it can on either side of the coin. And that's like, you have this murder, the, the, the Atlanta stuff, the Kemper stuff, you see they're they're starting to see that so many of these delineations that they're trying to create really are coming down to more universal truths of humanity rather than uh, types of people, right? Or characteristics mm-hmm. of a person. And I think that that's an interesting thing too. The Tex interview, I thought it was so interesting, even the way they shot it, like just kind of from the side of them two looking at each other. It was so mm-hmm. intimate. And as the people passed in the background, they would lower their voices or text yeah. would pull back <laughs> and stop talking. Right. And then he would lean back in and talk again. And it was so manipulative as well. And I, th- I'm not quite sure in the end what Holden really thought the truth was. I agree because the text interview is so different from the Manson one because he just rattles stuff off. He's monotone. He's Southern. Very. It seems very calm. He like admits to killing and he, but he's like, Charlie's a con artist and all that. And I, I I was felt the same way. I didn't know. It, It just felt like that scene almost felt like, I always joke about this through the years in JFK when Donald Sutherland basically breaks it down to Kevin Costner of, you know, the assassination of JFK and what happened with the, the newspapers were printed before it even happened and, you know, all this stuff. And it was just like, and I believed everything Donald Sutherland says and text. I was not to that extreme, but I was like my, my cynical mind, I guess, or my investigative mind was like, okay, he's too forthcoming. Why is he so forthcoming with him? I mean, he's just, but is it true? Is it not? And, and it basically um, is against a lot what Manson's saying. So, I mean, as an audience, Axel, we, we, we see both. And I guess we're supposed to maybe figure it out. But at the same time, they're all freaking nuts. I, you know, I don't know. I, but it was interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. And even in the end, uh, Wendy, uh, there's a line where she says, the conflicting um, stories don't really concern me. (laughs) (laughs) She's kind of just because she's saying, look, this is the way he read it. This is the way that Tex read it. And maybe for Tex, like she also says he exchanged um, Manson for Jesus later. Like he needed always someone to follow. They're just Mm -hmm. kind of serving their purposes. And I think that that, is, I mean, that's a never ending kind of question that 
nature versus nurture. And it's so much what Tench is dealing with, with Brian, like, can they, even if they give him all this therapy and all this attention, will it save him? Or is this right. what he's destined to be? And we re- what we really should be doing is studying him for what he is and accepting it because that could help us in the future prevent his, uh, or, you know, deny him the ability to kill again. Um, I f- yeah, I thought it was really interesting. And also the sunglasses part. Oh, I was just thinking of that in my head. Yeah. Yeah. Where like Manson wanted to be a badass, like. You know, and it just uses like the chain, manipulates the whole situation where the guard is like, he said he stole them from you. <laughs> right? Like, he like, wanted. He did? Yeah, but it's kind of like he wanted uh, Holden to know that he lied to everyone and said he stole them. Yeah. And he went, he sacrificed going to the hole just to look yeah. like you. Yeah. So it, it just, again, that little piece with the sunglasses. Just it almost is like you can you know you can hear Manson and maybe he sounds like he's speaking the truth, but come on, you know who he is, yeah. and it's just like you know just a little something with those glasses. Just but it was it, but I can understand. I mean, how broken young people would listen to him uh, because when you're young and someone you think someone's so educated and says things with words that really inspire you, you you you'll go along with that. I mean, to a certain extent. And, and, and again, it's all like you mentioned, it's all about timing in life and where you get someone. If someone just had a big divorce and lost everything and is so down and, you know, that's why a lot of people find God again, they turn to the church or whatever it is, you know, some, the bottle, you know, it it, it depends what or some just working out and going crazy you know there's all different ways that's <laughs> funny like, like, some hit the bible some hit the bottle <laughs> <laughs> some hit the bible some hit the bottle or, um, or both writing blues songs yeah man and that's but this is what's oh, so good, sc- i like that <laughs> yeah that's what's so scary um yeah you know that whole thing ends in wendy basically you know they they bandy about and that's why even when they have their little convo they're going back and forth. Was it Manson? Was it him? Was it, you know? And then, and then like, yeah. Bill's like, you're not saying that Manson succumbed to them, you know? And then Wendy's kind of like, well, this, he gave them, like you said, the timing, the place, right? The uh, ability to be who they already were. Like they were always mm-hmm. going to be kids like this. They were attracted to this situation. They found each other. And then, so Bill's sitting there thinking like, which one is Brian? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at all. And do I, I want to be either? Does it matter? Right? Like, right, there's no way right. out of it then, in a sense. Uh, yeah. That's what's so hard to watch that and see his face, but he's kind of angry, you know, about it. Very angry. And he's very transparent. I mean, you can, you can, you could see it. He wears his emotion on his sleeve, and Manson picks up on that. See, he picks up on that of bill pretty quick. And he knows he, he, he read the room. He knows what the two guys are about and he read them and he pushed buttons right away. You know, even down when he signed the book of Holden, like he knew, <laughs> like it just, it just, it was interesting. Um, what does the book say? I have As a, you sleep, I destroy the world. 
Was that what he wrote? Yeah, he wrote in the books. As you sleep at night. Oh, it night, wasn't like, hey, Holden, good to world. see you. Love you, Charlie Manson. No, okay. And it's it, that's ah, like that. That's it. Yeah, yeah. This each night as you sleep, I destroy the world, Charles Manson. Yeah. Well, well, there you go, Dewey Crow. So, okay, so I got a question for you about Guns Party as we are getting close to the end. Okay, we you know we've talked about uh, Bill holding court and doing what Gun wanted him to do. You know, tell stories when Holden goes in there and he starts talking all analytical stuff. People are leaving. <laughs> you know, so. All right. So Ted Gunn, a.k.a. Peter Gunn, pairs up Wendy with Warren. Now, do you think. OK, this is how do I want to phrase this? Bill knows about Warren, how he's basically a womanizer and right. whatever. Gunn has to know this, I'm assuming, or maybe he doesn't. But like to to pair him up with Wendy and, and putting her in that position, do you think he did that on purpose, or he really didn't know what? Or do you think Wendy could handle herself? But it just seemed like he just, oh, here's Warren, you know, talk to him, and you know, I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna go in the room. Uh, you know, Ted is. I don't know. It's hard to tell because Ted is a mover and a shaker and everything he does is calculated. It seems to me. Um, and I think that it's like, you know, the people that are involved in this line of work also exhibit the behaviors of those that they hunt. And he, I think did it on purpose. I think that he was, Maybe seeing if what she said in the interview was true. Um, maybe also. Oh, okay. Maybe trying. Maybe also in a way he was trying to take that guy down. Right. Like. Oh, yeah. Maybe that to, they to flush him out. Yeah. Well, not not only flush him out, but well, no, I'm sorry, not flush him out, but but so yeah, like kind of key, like I'm, I'm, say, I'm not picking the right words. Uh, well, I think we're on the same key that maybe this guy is, he works with them and he's responsible for things too. Um, and maybe funding, I can't remember what his exact position was, but, um, he could show how formidable Wendy was by exploiting this guy's weakness, which is that he goes immediately after good looking women. So yeah, flush them out the, is yeah, kind of fl- right. Yeah. Flush them out. Well, flush them out's more of a <laughs> if we get someone barricaded in a building and we want to get them out or <laughs> well, I just, flushing I just out that behavior, it. like exposing yeah, that behavior, maybe even letting Wendy know who he is. But right. It, Expose. It, I don't yeah. know if it's exposed, but yeah, I, I just wanted to say flush them out. I love that. term. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we we definitely said flush him out a lot on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. So so speaking of flushing, Axel, and like I had mentioned, the good moment between Bill and Wendy um, outside, and he, you know, we talked about that. Thought that was nice. But what really got me at the end of this episode, of course, like you said, bringing it back to Atlanta, there's a, a call that another body, a 12 year old victim number 13, and they mention a laundromat, and this one, um is very interesting because this is one of the murders. I mean, we'll get into the Wayne Williams thing and other episodes and and what goes on, but this is one that there's like fact in, in real life and not 
just a show, but that the killer it was it it was a different killer that killed this boy. There were eyewitnesses, but it like didn't like they didn't uh, the it just they didn't investigate it the way they should have and with the politics and everything. So when I heard Laundromat, I was like, oh crap, this one's devastating because the the evidence is there and the eyewitness accounts of what happened is there but they just they they gloss over it but that's for another day but that gave me some chills oh okay. uh, that they mentioned we'll, we'll this see particular that next one. episode yeah yeah and and, and I, I i am not sure i can't remember how they approach it in the episode which will be great to see but definitely in the documentary on hbo they do a big segment on it and it's it's crazy but that, that'll be for other discussions i don't want to jump ahead too much yeah. i just wanted to let you know that the chills I got when I heard because I don't remember the call. I remember another body, but when I watched it again, I'm like, "Oh my god, it's the laundry one." Okay, so I was like, "Oh crap, this stuff is crazy." Yeah, uh, the season will go on. I just want to say one yeah. last thing about the party. Yes, is I th- the reason why I felt that way about that situation being strategic was because of the way that he was kind of strategically trying out bill in this role. And then once bill, he see, you know, he sees how, how good bill is with everyone. He's like, well, I got you a slot speaking with, uh, you know, the director at this conference and you know what that means, you know? And then bill is kind of like, yeah, we know what you're doing. And then they kind of pull back, like they're owning the room, you know, they're center in the room. Um, Mm -hmm. and the way that Holden, he sees this is the team that, I'm getting together. And I like that. I like the way that they spent a good amount of time on the team in season one and getting built. And now that they have gun coming in and uh, (laughs) seeing the way things really, how they can each play their best role, but having, having continually Holden and Wendy have to check on, I mean, having a continually tension, Wendy having a check on Holden is something that I think is not good and puts strain on them. So we'll see how that works out too. Yeah. All right. Man. Yeah. That's it. Is that it? I think we oh reached God. the end of this podcast. Episode. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was looking for something for the end. And oh, okay. Axel. Oh no, sorry. Oh, I got uh, my <laughs> mind got hunted. All right. Did so. you find it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay. okay. I, I, you know, I always do a quote at the end, so I had to find my quote. Okay, I'm sorry. To, I should have kept talking. No, it's okay. It's it's it's. You're listening to the Mindhunter podcast live. Not really, but it's live for us. All right, you want to uh, take us out, Axel? Yes. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been Mindhunter season two, episode five. We will be back sooner rather than later with episode six. We're going to finish this whole thing out till the end. We only got eight episodes, so we got three more left. We'll see where it takes us. And just this amazing show. I'm so happy to be back talking about it. You can find us at DVRpodcast.com. Give us a review. We appreciate the reviews. Um, It helps us get noticed, and we do appreciate it. And thank everyone who has given us a review already. Now, Heath will take us out. All right. Thank you, everybody. Uh, It's good to be back, as we promised. I know it's been a while, but uh, hopefully you can enjoy and uh, finish out the season with us. And you know what, Axel? 
from the look of the house, at least the booze will be good. Dum dum dum. Dum 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 dum. All right, baby. All right. <laughs>